So we are continuing with uh, the lessons that were prepared by our connection branch leaders. And today we are looking at Colossians chapter 1. From verse 15 to 23. Colossians chapter 1. Let us remind ourselves what we always do. That since the Bible is God's word, and that everyone who believes in Jesus is a child of God, let us say it together, the Bible is God's word for us. Father, we come before you this morning. We acknowledge your presence here. We know that, Lord, you speak to us by your Holy Spirit through your word. And we pray, Lord, as you speak to us this morning, that you may accomplish what you intend to accomplish through this word. In Jesus' name, amen. Children, you are free to go. What do you say to a person that tells you that Jesus is not the only way? How do you respond to someone who says to you that Jesus cannot be the Son of God? And if he is, then he is not the only son of God. How do you respond to someone who says that Jesus is just a prophet, like any other prophet? I think these are some of the teachings that the Colossians were facing and Paul is writing to address that. He's writing to correct the wrongs. False, seductive, dangerous teachers had come up trying to distort the image of Christ. Trying to distract Colossians from trusting and putting their faith in this Jesus. And so Paul is writing to assure them, to encourage them, but also to warn them. To give them something that they can hold on despite the false teachings. And so to those who are telling Colossians that Jesus cannot be the only son of God or he cannot be God or he's just a prophet. He's a good person, a good teacher, but he's, he cannot be God. Paul writes to Colossians and he tells them in verse 15, He tells them that Jesus is more than a prophet. 
that he is, he is more than a good teacher. That he is not an image in a stained glass window of a cathedral church. He says that he is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. In him all things were created. Visible and invisible. Things in heaven and on earth. Whether they be thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. He says all things have been created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things Hold together. Paul is saying to Colossians, this is the Christ that I presented to you. That no one should make you think otherwise. He wants them to know that Jesus is the visible expression of the invisible God. He wants them to know that if you want to know God, look no further. Look at Jesus. He is the icon of God. He is the visible expression of the invisible God. You cannot go wrong with Jesus. Muslims or Islam says that Jesus is a prophet like any other prophet. They also deny that he died on the cross. But at the same time, they say Jesus is a prophet. And then they say, their confession says that there is no God but Allah or Allah. And Muhammad is his prophet. So even though they claim that Jesus is a prophet, they elevate Muhammad as the only prophet of God, the last prophet of God whom everyone should listen to, and not Jesus. Jehovah Witness distorts the divinity of Christ. According to them, he is God's handyman. Paul wants the Colossians to know, he wants believers to know that this Jesus that we talk about is the expression of God. He is the image of the invisible God because no one has seen God. When God wanted to be seen, 
when he wanted us to know him, he came through Jesus Christ. He veiled himself and became a baby in Mary's womb. He covered himself as a baby to be born on this earth so that we can see him. And the amazing thing is that teachers, false teachers, their main concern always has to do with the, with the divinity of Jesus Christ. They're not concerned about other prophets. You won't hear people arguing whether Moses was a prophet or not. They have no problem with that. They have no problem whether Muhammad was a prophet or not. They have a problem with Jesus. Now you should know that the reason they have a problem with Jesus is because they have a problem. And they don't want to turn to Jesus. So what do you do? Deny who he is so that you don't turn to him. And some of us as Christians, we will find ourselves face to face with such people and our faith in Christ will be tested. Some of our young people here, you will go to college and your faith will be tested. And that's why it's important for you to know this Jesus. That he is the image of the invisible God. That he is the exegesis of God. John chapter 1 verse 18 tells us that no one has ever seen God but the one and only son who, he, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. The Father has made him known. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 tells us that the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Jesus is the full embodiment of God's attributes. We talk of God being gracious and compassionate and loving for us to experience and to see those attributes we have to look at Jesus. If you want to know how God loves, look at Jesus Christ because he is the full expression of God's love. If you want to know how compassionate God is, look at Jesus Christ because he is the full expression of God's compassion. You cannot go wrong with Jesus.
Paul tells us here that uh, he is the creator of all things. You cannot claim to believe in God and not believe in Jesus. You just can't. I know people try to. He's the creator of all things. In him, everything was created. It was not only created by him, but it was also created for him. So he owns everything. He does not only own everything, but everything holds together in him. You look at the stars and the sun and the moon and you ask yourself, how can this be? It's because there is a being that is in control and that being is Jesus Christ. Jesus told his disciples when he commissioned them, he told them, go and baptize. Teach and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what he said. And then you know what did the disciples do when they were baptizing? They baptized people in the name of Jesus. That means when he told them to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they understood that that name he's talking about is Jesus. And of course, when we go through the book of Acts, we'll see this. Because in chapter 4, verse 12, we are told there is no other name. You can't go wrong with Jesus. We are also told in verse 18 that he is the head of the church. Now that should make you feel something. Because some of you thought that uh, Valerian is the head of this church. Some of you think that Pope is the head of the church. He is not. Jesus is the head of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. He is the head of the church. A church cannot have two heads. A body is not meant to have two heads. There, there can only be one head. And our head is Jesus Christ. We submit to him. We listen to him. We follow him. Because our desire is to continue to know him and to make him known as we become like him. This is the Jesus that Paul wants believers 
to know. He also says, and I like this one in verse 20, through him, um, from verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. He is the creator he is the head of the church, and he is the reconciler. He reconciles you and me with God. He brings peace between God and the sinner. To reconcile is to restore. It is to restore a broken relationship. And Jesus Christ comes in. He removes the hostility that exists before between God and man. And he brings that relationship back. Why is this important? Paul tells us in verse 21, once you are alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. Jesus has come to reconcile us with God because in our minds, we were enemies of God. Everything that we thought was against God. Every behavior was against God. That means anyone who does not yet know Jesus Christ is an enemy of God. If Jesus is not your savior, even your thoughts, no matter how good they are, they are still sinful. Your behaviors, you may be a good person, but every good thing you do without Christ is still sinful because it adds no eternal value. It is useless. It is like chasing after the wind. So Paul is telling us here that we first need to know this. That without Christ, we are enemies. We are separated from God. We are not friends of God. But because Christ came in and died on the cross and shed his blood, his death and the blood that he shed turns God's enemies into God's friends. You were once a sinner, fallen short of God's glory, deserving the wrath of God. 
you and I were guilty of our sins. When we turned to Jesus Christ, our case was presented to the Supreme Court of Heaven. Everything was considered. The evidence was presented and you and I were exonerated. We were declared not guilty. We were given life. That's why today you can say that you are a child of God. That's why today you can say that Jesus is my Savior. Not because there is something good that you did. Not because you had a good argument before him. Not because you presented a better case. But because Jesus presented himself on the cross and by his blood wiped away all your sins and gave you a new chapter. And today you wake up and you can say, my sins have been forgiven. Because of that, Jesus. Thank you. And then someone comes to you and tells you, mm, This Jesus is not what you think he is. If you have truly experienced his forgiveness, you're not going to take that just lying down. You're going to stand up and with all confidence, whether you are in college or in high school, elementary or middle school, you are going to stand up with confidence and tell them, let me tell you about this Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. I don't know what happened to Christians. We have the best news. We have the best message. We should have all the confidence to present this message. You know, I, I like looking at court cases and looking at lawyers when they are the advocates when they are representing their clients. And it's interesting how even when an advocate knows that his client is guilty, they will still fight for him or for her. They will try their best to fight for him or for her. Even when they know that this guy did it. They're supposed to fight for them as if they are innocent. You and I know that this Jesus is real. We have experienced his power in our lives. The power of the gospel. 
We know where we were and we know where we are and we know where he's leading us. We know where we are going. We have the message. When we are present, representing Christ, we have no doubt. It's not like we are guessing. It's not like we, we know he's not real, but we are trying to make him real. We know that he is real. And if that's the case, then we should do it the best way we can. And you, young people here, you represent Christ in your school. You represent Christ where you are in your college. You represent Christ there. And all of us represent Christ where we are at work. We represent Christ there. This, this Jesus, this image of God's, of, of the invisible God, this creator and reconciler, this head of the church. And you do so with all the confidence because the Bible says there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. See, the enemy will always, to make you feel inadequate, he will always try to remind you of your sins. He will always remind you of your past. That's the only way he can torment you, by bringing back the wrong choices that you have made in life. That's his strategy because he knows if you can focus on your weakness, you cannot enjoy the strength that you have in Christ. And therefore, as a believer, you must keep on reminding yourself, yes, I once was there, but I am not there anymore. Yes. I once was an enemy of God, but now I am a friend of God. Yes, I was guilty, but I have been acquitted. I am not guilty. I have been justified. I have a past, but I don't live there. You have to keep on reminding yourself because the enemy will always bring those images before you. And then you will look at yourself and feel pity about yourself and say, God cannot use me, surely. Who am I to even open my mouth and speak for Christ? Look at what I have done in my life. What kind of a man am I? What kind of a woman am I? I shouldn't even speak. And Jesus looks at you and says, You are reconciled. 
you have a new life. You have a new chapter. You should speak. <coughs> Excuse me. This is important to us. It's very important to us. Paul says in verse, from verse 22, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through the death to present you whole in his sight without blemish and free from accusations. If you continue in your faith. Now the if there is not conditional. I still don't understand why they translate it as if. It should be since. You continue in your faith. Established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. If you have truly experienced Christ in your life, you will continue in the faith. You will continue to hold on to the truth of the gospel. You may fail once in a while, but you will still cling on that rugged cross. You will still remind yourself you will still want to come back to Jesus Christ. I strongly believe that everyone who has truly believed in Jesus will still come back to Jesus. God will never lose his children. He will never lose his children. We are safe in his hands. And this is the hope that we have in the gospel. This is the gospel, Paul says, that you had and has been, and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. The message I have for you is simple. Jesus is the real deal. He is the real deal, baby. Amen. The truth about the gospel is that it changes lives. Everywhere in the world. You go everywhere in the world where people have heard and believed in the gospel and you will see lives that have been transformed. That's the amazing power of the gospel. It changes lives. The truth about the gospel is that the gospel is the best protection we have against false teachings. You know the gospel, you can defend yourself against any kind of false teachings. That's why it's important for us as Christians to really know what God is saying to us in his word. And uh, if you worship here, you have every reason to know what God says in his word. 
because that's our focus here. We, we strongly believe that the Bible is the word of God for us. And if it is God's word for us, then we must read it. Now I remember the first letter that my wife wrote to me. It was on a, a green notepad. It, has two, it had two paragraphs. It said, Valerian, I never knew I could say something like this to you. But I love you. And I think you know it. I love you so much. And I read that letter the first time. Then I kept it somewhere. Few months later, I took it again. And I read it. And then I kept it somewhere. And I kept on reading that letter for years. Because, not because I wasn't seeing her and talking with her, but that's the message in that letter meant so much to me. Such that when anything happened between us, I would go back to it to reassure myself. Sometimes I would go back to it and I would be afraid to open it because I would be thinking, I hope what she said hasn't changed. That letter one day I left it in my pocket and I washed my clothes. Yeah, I felt the same way. Because when I took it out, I couldn't read it anymore. But that message remained with me. Here we talk so much about Christians facing persecution. Now that is not happening right now. Really, we are not suffering for our faith. But a time will come when the only word of God you can rely on is the one that you know. A time will come that you can only turn to God's word that you have already read that you have in your heart. That when you want to think about what God says to you, you can only go back to what you have learned about God in your life. A time comes, at times not only uh, because of persecution, but also because of sickness. Do you know why Christians sometimes curse. Have you cursed and wondered where did that come from? It came from where you put it. 
You cannot curse if you've never cursed. It won't just come from nowhere. It comes from somewhere. You stored it somewhere. This is the same reason you cannot just speak a language you've never learned. You, if, if, you, if you find yourself speaking Chinese, probably you learned it somewhere. Now, the Holy Spirit can help, can enable you to speak. But did you know that sometimes when people are drunk, they say things that they would never say if they were sober? You think those things are coming from somewhere else? You think those things are coming from the alcohol? No. The alcohol is just revealing what was there. And so the most important thing we need to do so that when we find ourselves in those places where we are pressed so much such that that which is inside wants to come out, we must make sure we know what's going in. If you want the best to come out, you have to put the best in. And the best is God's word. Know it so that it can fill you. And so next time you find yourself opening your mouth and saying something that uh, you wouldn't have wanted to say, just know it's coming from where you put it. You have thought about it. You probably had said it to yourself several times. And that's why, especially for those who are married, be careful what you say to the other person. Be careful what you say when you are angry. Because the truth is, you mean what you say. You can still apologize, but what you said came from... In fact, when you are angry, you are likely to speak the truth. <laughs> That's why the Bible says, speak the truth in love. That doesn't mean you can't speak it in a different way. When we are angry, we are likely to speak the truth because anger forces us to go deeper into our pain and our thoughts and bring that out. And that's why it's important for us to really know this gospel. Through the gospel, God is inviting the lost to come to Christ. It is through the gospel that we know that every sinner has a chance. And so anyone who does not yet believe in Jesus through Christ 
God is inviting you to be saved. And you can turn to him. Another word we use for turning to Christ is repentance. It's a change of mind. Because right now, you are an enemy of God in your mind. And because you are an enemy of God in your mind, you don't believe him in your heart and all your behaviors are sinful. But you can turn to Christ right now and he is willing to forgive you. You have that chance. For us who believe in Christ, what do we do with this Jesus? This Jesus that uh, is the image of the invisible God. What do we do with him? Do we keep him to ourselves? Do we allow him to live his life through us? Do we acknowledge this truth and allow it to impact our lives and the lives of the people that God brings to us? What do we do with him? That's the question I want you to ask yourself. What do I do with this Jesus, this reconciler? Father, I thank you for your love for us. We bless your name for who you are. I thank you, Lord, that you continue to speak to us and to remind us who we are in you. I thank you, Father, for every family that is represented here. You are making us into one great family. A family that enjoys your presence. A family that enjoys the presence of one another. And as, and as you continue to transform us, Lord, our prayer is that we may experience you more and more. And that in our lives, you may be glorified. I want to thank you for the children and the young people that we have here. As they grow up in, in this godless culture, the temptations that they face, the challenges that come on their way, that God, you may give them the confidence and the courage to stand with you. That Father, you may enable them to be the light that shines in the dark. And that, Father, you may be glorified in their lives. And among them, if there is any who is yet to turn to you, may you open her eyes or his eyes so that she may see the need and turn to you. And for all of us, Lord, May you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.